0: series. It's three weeks long called Invest, Invite, and Include. And um, we, we finished up our last one. And uh, what we're talking about is over the centuries, the gospel doesn't change. The gospel of redemption, of restoration, of us being born into sin and needing a savior, that never changes. But the way that gospel is communicated changes really with each generation and so there was a time when we could put a tent up and everyone from the town would come to the tent and there'd be some fiery preacher who'd preach a fiery sermon and and a lot of people would come to jesus and they'd leave their cigarettes at the altar and all this kind of stuff and it was it was very effective I'm almost certain if we put a tent up in Garden Grove right now, that would not be the, the response we'd get. There was a time when John Wesley, who we're a free Methodist church, and John Wesley was like the father of Methodism. And so what he did was he rode around on a horse from town to town, and he shared the gospel. And And, and at that time, alcoholism was just very pervasive in the in the country. And so he would... He would preach on that, and he'd preach on, "Look, we gotta, we have to live holy lives." And so he'd he'd preach on that, and then he'd set up. He he gave um, lay people, you know, just people who attend church, he gave them authority to teach and to run the church, and and it started this whole movement of it. It doesn't have to be just this pastor led thing. Everybody can be involved in ministry. There's a, a the Bible calls it a priesthood of all believers, and. And so that he'd started these things called bands, which were like small groups. And you'd get together and you'd ask each other like really difficult questions. Like, what thoughts did you have this week that were impure? And you're like, what? like none of your business. But back then at work, it was a it was a big it was a big deal. And and even in our own, you know, in the last few decades, church has changed. A lot of things have changed. There was a time. It was like a huge, huge argument about whether or not there'd be drums on. Now we have video screens and graphics and all this kind of stuff. And so the, the question is, how do you move from generation to generation, keeping the gospel intact, but changing maybe the way you give the message? Because I'm telling you now, there's a generation that's behind me that 's coming up that might go drums, are you kidding me now it 's holograms and you know i don 't know planes and lasers I, I I have no idea, but what happens is each generation has this tension where we were saved in that particular thing and and so we love it and we get it 's spiritual and all this kind of stuff, but the next generation comes along and and sometimes we some generations hand that mantle off and it 's really nice and beautiful, and then the next generation takes up. Sometimes the next generation just is like, you can pry it from my cold, dead fingers. We're not getting rid of robes, you know, or whatever, whatever the thing is. It's like, this is the thing. So how how do you, how do we share the gospel today in what we would call a postmodern society? I mean, for the first time in our history, we going to church is not just the thing everyone does on Sunday. I mean, it's just, it's not. And, and truth isn't really, it, it, you know, for, for this particular generation coming up, it's like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I believe. And I don't you know how, how do we share the gospel, which is true in the Bible, which we base our lives on in a way that represents what the next generation and what the people around us relate to now without messing up the message of the gospel to just go. Yeah, whatever, man, whatever you want to believe is cool. How do we do that? And that's what this series is really all about. How do we share the gospel in a way that's clear? It's compelling. People understand without changing the principles of the gospel. And so um, what we're going to talk about this next three weeks is investing, inviting and including, because that's what I believe our church is called to do. We invest in people all around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, People on the little league team, the people in choir, the people we teach in in school, the people who are teaching us in school, we invest in people. And at some point we invite them on our faith journey, not to church, although that might be part of it, not to accept Jesus, although that might be part of it. We include, we, we um, invite them to something. So in our case, it might be the barbecue next week. It might be our be the church in two weeks where we're only in church for just a little bit. And then we go out, you know, okay, I could probably do that, you know, uh, or, or we invite them to church or we invite them to our small group or we invite them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we invest in their lives. We invite them at a certain time, appropriate time, a time where the Holy Spirit's moving. And then when they're here, we include them. That's is what I believe Living Spring is called to. Investing, inviting, and including. And so um, the the first one, the one we're going to look at this morning is invest. And to me, it's the most important one and one that cannot, especially in our generation and our time, cannot be just set aside. This is a key, key component to watching people come back or maybe for the first time or maybe come back to a relationship with their Heavenly Father. When I was... um, When I first became pastor here, uh, I went to the search committee, uh, which was so daunting and scary. Some of them are still in here. I can't even make eye contact with them. That's how scary it was. And and we went and they were asking us questions and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, I just felt the Holy Spirit just moving, mildly going, you're going to be the pastor here. Which when you talk to a search committee, that's kind of frightening to them. You don't just walk in and go, I'm going to be your pastor because they'll make sure you're not. And so... So I go in and so, so I had no leverage because when God calls you to something, you can't like demand, like you can't demand stuff. And so I, I didn't, I couldn't demand some type of salary. I couldn't demand anything, but I just, in my mind, I'm just like, well, look, I, I'm not going to move. Cause we just built this addition on our house and it, we wanted to retire at that house. It was the house. we Like that was it. I was done. Our house is done. Good. Fine. And so I said, you know, we're not going we're not going to move into garden grove. We're not going to move around the church. You know, I'm 18 minutes away and the way I drive i'm like 50 minutes away And so, you know, everything will be cool. Everything's fine and so they were like fine and After like just a few months the lord's like you're moving and so i'm like, you know And he just like changed our heart and we're like stupid house We never liked it anyway and we ended up moving closer to the church and we ended up buying a house by a park So our daughters were 11 and 12 years old and uh, I told this story a few years ago but um And so Lisa was out with Jesse, our son, Um, at at that time. He was like six, and then our daughters were like 12 and 11, and uh, she was out with them. We left the girls at home. I went to Home Depot to go get something because when you buy a house, it's just like you live at Home Depot, which was totally fine with me. I would live at Home Depot. And um, so I get the stuff, and I come home, and uh, I don't have a key because Lisa had the keys. We had to make more keys. And so I knew the girls were home, so I knocked on the front door. No response. Knocked on the front door. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of ticked now, so I'm like, you know, dang, dang, can't they hear me? What's going on? Wait, no phone was hooked up yet. Nothing. So I go from there. I go to the back gate, the side gate, and I go to get in there. But it's locked. So I can't. So Now I can't get in. And so our house is like, it's so fancy. It's got this keypad that you can put in a special code, and the garage door opens up, like Star Trek. So... Someday you'll get there, but it's awesome. And so I press in the special code. Thing goes up, and I go inside, and nobody's in there. The back door's wide open. So I'm looking around. I call for the girls. Nothing. I call Lisa. I say, hey, do you have the girls? You know, I'm home now. When are you coming home? She said, I don't have the girls. And so I'm like, what do you mean I don't have the girls? And so I'm l- looking all over. I mean, our house isn't very big, so that took about a minute. And, and nobody was in there, so I thought... They're at the park, but it was dark outside. But if you know my girls, that probably doesn't surprise you anyway. They're probably out in the park jamming around, and so I go out and um, they're nowhere. And so I start getting that like um, that panicked feeling. I tell Lisa they're they're not here, and the back door's wide open. And so Lisa comes in, and I, now it's hard for me to breathe. I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm panicking. And so I have this whistle that I do. That's really, really loud that I've done all their lives. And there's only one rule. When you hear the whistle, come to me. I don't care what, I don't care if you're using the restroom. I don't care if you're in the shower when I use my whistle. Cause I don't just use it to, you know, get me some water. I, I yeah, I, 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 there's usually a thing. I'm serious. I want to know where you are. So I whistle nothing. I whistle louder, and now now I'm just a wreck. So Lisa calls nine one one, and you could hear. I mean, I can just I can picture it as though we're yesterday. I can still hear her in my mind talking to the police, describing my lost kids. One has a ponytail. She's wearing a pink shirt. She's got these type of shoes. I'm thinking to myself, they're gone. And so I go into super freak out mode, which you've you've I don't think anyone here has ever seen my super freak out mode. But there was this one creepy house that's kind of catty to me. And I, so I just go up and pound on that door. Uh, it, and, and, and and you know, the dude comes in, well, you know, what is it? And, and so I start yelling for my girls in his house. And I go, because I said, are my daughters here? He's like, what? I'm like, Audrey, Emily. And I look at him as if to say, like, I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> just keep the door open. So the police show up. And, I mean, we're freaked out. And my mind is just racing. And all of a sudden, I hear this blood-curdling scream down the street. So I just start booking. And I'm not that fast. So for me, I felt like I was like, you know, the flash and, and so we're going and you could hear that police go. you know, it's just so, uh, and they come running out of this house with this guy with his hands up going, I didn't touch her. I didn't touch him. And I'm like, I'm going to touch you, my friend. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to kill a man with my bare hands. So so then a car drives up with two guys in it. And my one daughter goes, that's them. And so now I'm like, I'll be back for you later. And I, I go to this car and I, I like stick my whole body in. And like the one, the one guy's like this. And I'm like, who are, you know, who are you? You know, I felt like Jack Bauer. Like, who are you working for you? Oh, this is kind of cool. But, but I remember grabbing my kids and I, the first thing I asked did anyone touch you? Isn't that, I guess, as a, as, a, as a dad, isn't that like your first thing? Did anyone touch you? Because I, like, ugh. And so but I had him. And they're like, no. And just that feeling of, you were gone. Like, all the emotion. You were gone, but I got you now. And at that time, it's just the emotion. All this kind of stuff was just overwhelming. And so here's what happened. Just so you kind of tie the whole thing together. I came home. I knock on the front door. That freaks my girls out. Okay. They're all freaked out. I think someone's at the front door. You know, you know how girls are and little kids. So that's just awesome. So uh, "I I think someone's at the front door, you know. So they open the back door and they're like, they're like, wait, like if someone comes through that door, we're going out the back door, which is just into the pool. I don't know what they're going to do. And so, so, so what, when I went to go check the back gate, they're in the backyard and they heard it. They're coming inside. It's coming inside. So they just hop over our back wall. They just climb up the ivy and they're gone down the street. And they're like, well, look at, look at, you know, and so they're watching. The park, and all of a sudden, I come out to the park to look for him, and I'm I'm kind of an ominous figure in the dark, and so so they just see this dark figure, big arms, and just like <laughs> like just like V and all this kind of stuff, and they're just like there, so there they are, there, 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 we go, so they run around the 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 block, okay, so they're gone, they can't hear me whistle or anything. The cops show up while I'm out, like breaking and entering into all our, all the neighbors. My son goes and tells these two guys, my, my, my sisters are gone. So they get in their car and they drive around to go look for them. Well, they, my girls start coming up the street and then they pull over and they're like, are you guys lost? And Emily just like freaks out and runs to my neighbor's house. Who's really cool, by the way. I'm so glad I didn't kill him. And, and so they pound on their door. And he comes in. And they're like, can we come in? And he's like, I ain't letting two little girls into my house right now. There's just like, no way I'm being found with two. So he goes and gets his wife. They're believers. They're awesome people. They come out. They, my girls hear me, hear me yell for them. So they run out. And he comes in. I didn't touch them. You know that, that was that whole thing. You know, and, and so Emily's like, there's the car. And I, I like, oh man. And, and so all our neighbors are around at this point with all the commotion. And, and so I just said, Hey, we're the written houses <laughs> and we're your new neighbors. Like it's so humiliating, but listen, did I care that I was humiliated? No. <laughs> All I cared about or my two little girls were back. I had them. They were lost and they were found. Now turn to Luke chapter 15 because we're going to see the heart of our heavenly father. And how our heavenly father is not much different than I was. Although I'm not sure he wants to kill everybody. Um, Luke chapter 15. Now what's happened is as it has in our day. Church needs to change. There needs to be a change in the way we do ministry. Okay, what was happening for Jesus is Jesus shows up on the scene and everyone's doing church a certain way. They've become dead. It's ceased to be about God. It's all become about religion. It's all become about what you do and don't do and, and, and how you look towards other people and all this kind of stuff. They were called the Pharisees. And so when Jesus comes, he he doesn't really buy into all that. And he starts doing his own thing. It's a little different. It's like now where where maybe there's a different postmodern shift. And the gospel doesn't need to change. But maybe the way how we talk to people. Or maybe 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 we don't use Bible language like hitherto and all that kind of stuff. Maybe there's something different. And so Jesus shows up and he starts doing ministry totally different. And that's where we find him here. He's around the tax collectors and the sinners. Now for you and I, we think my boss is a sinner. I act. I mean, who cares? I mean, what? That's not the big deal anymore, but back then it was a huge deal. And so here's what happens. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They muttered. Let me tell you something. As someone who's been in the church for decades, one of the most dangerous dangerous things to the church of jesus christ is muttering it just looks like a tiny little word there but it is so dangerous so here they are they're all together they're doing church the way they've always done it and jesus starts doing it differently and they begin to mutter and here's what they say this man welcomes sinners and eats with them that's muttering by the way my best mutter my mother was a mutter no anyway (laughs) Uh, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That was their thing. Like, no, what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to be in robes and cool and righteous and have all these laws and stuff. And they're supposed to feel bad and come to where we are. You're not supposed to go out to where they are. And again, for us, we think, well, that's kind of weird. But for them, they were dead serious about this so much. Uh, they would mutter about it. They would begin to start talking to each other. Oh, this man, and you can read all sorts of situations where they said, if this man were a man of God, if he were a prophet, if he were this or that, he, he wouldn't do this. But Jesus is different. Now, Jesus gives three stories that I think gives the heart of our heavenly father. And it really illustrates to us why investing in people is the most important thing to see them come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. He tells these stories. He says this. Then Jesus told a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. And loses one of them. And for them, this is. V- I mean, this is a great story to tell. It's exactly what they would be realizing there. There might have been sheep out on the fields where he was talking. He might have just pointed to them on the hillside. Suppose, okay, look, look at these sheep. Out here. Suppose one of you has a hundred of them. And he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Like, isn't that natural? Now listen, leaving the sheep is irresponsible. But when one's lost for some reason, now it becomes the responsible thing to do. It's what anyone would do. And you leave the 99. You just leave them there. Let let me tell you, when my girls were gone, not once... Did I think about Jesse, my son? Not even once. I, 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 he never crossed my mind. I didn't go, honey, call off the search. We've still got one more. <laughs> it's going to be fine. Our biological clock isn't open. We can bust out a couple more. We'll be right back where we started and let's go. You know? Not once did I think about him. Do I love him? Totally. I, he was running in and out of traffic, going and t- knocking on people's doors. And I'm like, go, my man. You know, like, I, like he was, he wasn't lost. He was found. I knew where he was. Didn't cross my mind. This is what Jesus is saying. Look, when, it, when it's lost, when you got a hundred sheep and one's lost, that's the only thing you're thinking about. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he takes it a, a, and goes home. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Now watch what Jesus says. It's so, man, it just gets to the heart of it. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. is in the heart of God. You know, for those of us who have a relationship with God it's great. But the heart of God is to try and get the Bible says that God wishes that no one perish, but all come to relationship with him. And so so as we kind of attend church and we're here and, and, and we're learning and we're doing this, we get to rest in this fact of being the ninety nine sheep grazing on the hill and everything's awesome. And God's heart is for that one who's lost. And so. Knowing they're not going to get it, he goes to another story. And he says this, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, what's happened here? These 10 silver coins were put on a headband. And they were like her dowry. This is what her father would have given her. And then when she got married, the husband would get her and some coins. Whoever marries my daughter ain't getting nothing. Yeah, my daughter. That's it. Give me 10 silver coins. And then we'll talk about it. But back then you'd give away your daughter and you'd give this dowry, this thing. And so if she lost one of those coins, it was a huge deal. It's very embarrassing. She, she had to find that. So that's, that's kind of the whole thing. There's value in that coin. Just as there's a value, incredible value. in just that one sheep, there's incredible value in that coin because it represents so much more. Okay. And so, uh, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. L- listen to me. Oftentimes we think of God, and even as we are l- doing worship songs, we, we, and we raise our hands, and he's so awesome, and he's so mighty, and, and, and he created the universe, and... and You know, man, but he he rejoices. He's got all sorts of emotions, which we don't, that humanizes him. And that sounds weird, but he gets angry. He gets jealous. He he, he gets happy. He rejoices. In the Bible, it says he sings over us. It's like, how? Like, it's so personal. When someone comes to repentance and comes into relationship with God, God and all the angels rejoice. That's the heart of our heavenly father. So Jesus goes on. Like if that isn't enough, he goes on to tell one more story. And it's a very famous story because those things showed how much value there is in a sheep and a coin. But it still doesn't like just nail it, get it home until he tells this next story. He tells a story about two sons and a dad. And basically, one of the sons says, I wish you were dead. Now, That isn't exactly what he says. What he says is, I'd like my inheritance now. But really, what the thing that he's coming across is the relationship we have together. That's not important to me. That money when you die, that's what's important to me. And I want to start living with that money now. And so he goes to his father and he says, essentially, I wish you were dead. And I wish I had my money. And the dad goes, "Okay, fine. Now, in this culture unheard of the father was like everything in that household and the firstborn son would then become everything and it kind of got passed down and and your inheritance was passed down from generation to generation it's not like now where you know you, you, you invest in the stock market and you can get it's it's like this was it and so he's saying i i want it and so he gets it and he goes off to a foreign land And he wastes it all. The Bible says he squanders it with wild living. There's no difference between now and then of what wild living was. It's exactly the same. I mean, maybe it it, it plays itself out a little differently because you can fly on a plane and drive around. But the ultimate thing, where the money went, that's all about the same. So he squanders it away. Yeah. Check this out. This is so key. Verse 14 is very, very key in this this story. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. (laughs) When that dude had all that money and he was doing his wild wild living, imagine if you went up to him and said, what are you doing to your father with this? You know, someday you're going to have to call into account. He's like, put it all, you know, snake eyes, baby. I mean, he's, he's ready to go. He's got a, he's like, uh, got one a woman in one arm and one on the other. He's got valet parking the camel. I mean, he's just like, he's there. You go to him and you go, man, you know what? You really need to, you really need to get back to your heavenly father. He's not going to listen to you. But then he began to be in need. And here's what I've noticed in ministry and just being around, I know, I, you know, take it for what it is. When people are in need is when they're most likely to want to hear about God. And when they do it, they go to the people who have invested in them. They don't just show up. They go to the people who've invested in them. And so this guy's got this famine. He's thinking, no big deal. He wastes all this money and he begins to be in need. I get emails from people who we Lisa and I are investing in that don't attend this church and the relationships we've built up and people we've been investing in. And almost always, there comes a time when they are in need. And it looks different for some people. Some people, it's their marriage. All of a sudden, it begins to crumble. And we'll have people walk through those doors right there who come and sit down in those seats and go, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And they're usually brought in by someone who's invested in their lives and they end up in church. A lot of times when people have kids, they realize, "Man, there's more to life. And I mean, I got, I wasn't into God or anything, but I got to do something for my kid. They become in need. Some people lose a job or whatever. And where do they go? He began to be in need. And those people that are, that are surrounding you, those bosses and people in school who are very arrogant and very condescending or whatever, at some point, what I've noticed Is at some point in their life, they begin begin to be in need. And so here's what it says. When he came to his senses, like, what am I doing? He said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. It's essentially this thing of like, what am I doing? Now, how did he come to his senses? Did someone come to him and open up a scroll of the Hebrew, you know, Old Testament and start showing him all these different things? No, he just, he became in need. And he's like, this is not working for me. My life is not working. he starts to think, you know, there's this place that I know of. And he starts coming up with this scheme. I'm going to go back home and I'm not, I, forget the whole sun thing forget the whole sun thing i I just need I just need to get in like with the servants i 'm just hungry, and this is what I see with people who end up in our church they 're not thinking, you know what I need? I need to get in a good Bible memory program, and I need to learn how to pray flowery prayers and be in a small group and give ten percent of my income to the church i mean no one 's thinking that they 're just thinking I just need rest I just, I just need to feel a touch of God somehow. I I I, I just, uh, they don't come in here expecting anything, but just to go, can I please just have this one little taste of God? So, that's what happens. He comes to his senses. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? He prepares this speech. I'm going to go to my heavenly, I'm going to go to my father and say, oh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so, he got up and he went to his father. That's all he was going to do is just go. He has this little plan, this thing he's going to do. He gets up and he goes to his heavenly father. And this is just, this just tells you exactly the heart of the father. Good night. (laughs) One more time. High score. But while he was still a long way off, he hadn't figured it all out. This is the heart of our heavenly father. All he wants is just a tiny little turning. Wait a minute. This ain't working for me. And our heavenly father isn't like, well, you think about that all the way when you get. And we'll see. Let's see how you get all the way over. Come on. uh, uh, Take a couple more steps. Kiss the ring. While he's a long way off, he just sees him and he starts running towards him. He's filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And this is is exactly what it was like to grab my daughters. To grab them and kiss them and, oh, you're back. And and the, and the son gives a speech. He's like, "Okay, listen, listen, listen. You don't have to give me anything, you know, all that." And the, the father freaks out, and he gives him a robe, and he puts a ring on his finger, and he's like, "Let's have this party for him and everything." It was like it was like when I had my daughters. Right then, they could have asked me for a pony, and I would have gone to wherever you buy ponies, and I would have just bought them a pony because I was like, "They're they're they're here." And. Then I would have gotten rid of the pony, but, but you know they're here. I got them. They could have asked for anything. They could have. They could have confessed to anything at that point. Dad, remember when the carpet caught on fire? You know, it wasn't mom. It was us. Oh wow. Okay, you know, like they could have confessed anything. It wouldn't matter. I got them. This is exactly what Jesus is trying to explain to us. This is the heart of our heavenly Father towards people who are lost. But then there's this weird twist in the whole thing. says "Oh, and he, he says this, "For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but he's found, and so they began to celebrate." And so what happens is, the other son, there's another son who'd been doing it right the whole time. He'd been doing everything his father told him to do. He was a good Christian. He went to, you know, family devotions every morning. He's out there working in the field. They, the, the story starts out that they catch him doing the right thing. And he, he hears this music in the background. He's working and, you know, people are in there, woohoo. you know, they're dancing. I, I can't dance, but I imagine it looks something like that. And, 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 and he's like, what's that? Music And he asked one of his servants, and the servant's like, oh, you're going to be so stoked. You'll be so happy. Your brother's back. And he's like, my brother's back. I've been doing this the right time all this time. Listen, here's what I want to tell us. The heart of a Pharisee is in all of us. All of us. It may sh- manifest itself differently. You, you, you might be on, you know, the, on a website with the news and you're looking at some people and you're thinking, oh, people, why are they saying those things, doing those things or whatever? And meanwhile, the heart of your heavenly father is going, oh, come to your It's in all of us. I've had the heart of a Pharisee in me. And it can rise up at any time where I'm looking at something. I think, well, that's not fair. You know, we've done all this. And they've only done that. And then they get this. How come? And all this kind of stuff. And the heart of our Heavenly Father goes, oh, man. Yes. Yes. Rejoice. The kingdom of God is expanding. We all can be that second son. And this is what Jesus is trying to warn us of. Don't get caught up in all that stuff. And so the the dad goes to the son and he says, come on, we're partying. And the son goes, you know, you've never had a party for me and all my friends. And then this guy shows up and he says, when the son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Here's what our heavenly father has to say about it my son you're always with me and everything i have is yours see if we're going to invest in people okay if investing is the number one thing this is where we come from this is our foundation we know our heavenly father and everything that he that he has is ours we have peace that surpasses all comprehension we have the joy of the lord that we read about we have uh, a family to you know, grow up in Christ and all these types of things. We have all this stuff. It, it says, uh, uh, Christ said, you know, everything's been given to me. I give to you. Abide in me. I mean, we got it. This is our whole thing. So now those conversations with our boss aren't just like, ooh. they're not just like, well, if I say this, maybe he'll think that I should get a raise, Right. They become kingdom investments. of have like I already got it. my boss has nothing for me. Everything I have, I was given to me by my heavenly father. All of a sudden, that kid at school or that teacher or that neighbor or whatever, it takes a whole different thing. You say, look, all all I have is yours. You're always with me. Well, we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive and he was lost and is found. Listen. This investing in people is hard and it takes a long time and it takes focus and it takes intentionality and it takes a a heart that's going, I'm not going to look at myself. It means a baseball game, Little League game, isn't about just junior hitting the home run and winning the game and good, now they're 10 and 5 and can make the playoffs. It's about, wow, I'm sitting next to another family. Facebook becomes a whole different arena for where you can bless people and invest in people and email becomes something different. And the news becomes just what it's always been. Just a reminder that we live in a world that needs people investing in other people. C.S. Lewis says it this way, says it's difficult. There's no safe investment to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love. Anything in your heart will certainly be wrung, and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Here's what's going to happen to you as you begin to invest in people. It's going to take a long time, and they're going to do things that you wish they didn't do, and it means inviting them to things that you don't really want them there. Like, it could be much better if they weren't there, but you invite them anyway. The reason we do that, the reason why investing is so important is because when the famine comes and they become in need and they come to their senses, they're going to go to the people that have invested in them. And we want that to be people who are going to bring them to their heavenly Father.